WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. And good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Car Doctor Program on 95.9 WATD. And thanks to uh, Jesse Wilkins, uh, weather observer, executive producer of the Car Doctor Program. And... uh, with us on the phone is Ezra Dyer, and according to Chatbot, or Chat, whatever it's called, uh, Ezra is an American journalist, automotive writer. He's a staff writer for the automotive section of Car and Driver magazine, which is the only section of Car and Driver magazine, and has been with the publications since 2007. And apparently, Ezra, you're known for your humorous and insightful writing style. If you say so. Well, it's not me. It's you know the chatbot thing that said 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 you are so. Uh, so um, you know you're you're original. Well, I guess you're originally a Maine guy, but you're you're originally from Boston. You live in you live in down south now. Uh, but what have you been up to the last few years? I know uh, certainly car and driver has been part of it. Uh, well, I'm down in North Carolina now and reviewing cars and uh, you know doing, uh, this job involves a lot of travel, so it, it doesn't necessarily matter where i live that much but uh i was just over in italy a couple weeks ago I drove the new the ferrari puro sangue their new suv um and right now i'm driving a like the official car of new england a subaru crosstrack yeah and you know it really is i mean you know we've always joked up in new england that you know subaru's like the state bird of vermont you know it's just it's such a popular vehicle and um you know because of the wide variety of vehicles you've driven you know everything from multi-million dollar bugattis to i don't know if you know if you've if you've ever driven a a, a yugo but you know, somewhere in between there, that's that spectrum. You've driven a you've driven a wide variety of vehicles. Yeah, that comes with the territory, and it is you get whiplash sometimes. It go you know Ferrari to Subaru, but uh, you know it's it's good to put everything in context. A Bugatti is certainly fun, but not relevant for a lot of people. Whereas this hundred fifty two horsepower Subaru, you know, they sell hundred fifty thousand of them a year, and it's kind of like. Uh, you know, they've been building this car for essentially 40 years, and it's what I learned how to drive out in the woods in Maine on my parents' 1982 Subaru GL, and that's basically, that's this car. So it's kind of cool that the world caught up to what Subaru was doing, basically. Yeah, it, it really it really is. And, you know, one of the things that I've always kind of noticed about you is you're sort of an observer of stuff, you know, whether it's, you know, what's going on in the automotive industry, you know, what's going on with cars, car design. Uh, and uh, I think, I think uh, you know, that that's what makes some of your uh, writing sort of, like it said here, humorous and insightful. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it is it is some of what, um, you know, what makes what makes your writing style interesting, I think, is the way you sort of have a pretty open view on a lot of things. Well, thanks. Um, I, as you know, one of the tricks with writing about cars or doing any kind of review is that you got to notice weird things about it that might not jump out at you in the first five minutes or on a test drive. Um, but, you know, after you've been driving for a few days or toward the latter part of a week, um, you notice the little idiosyncrasies. Um, and some are cool and some aren't. Like, 
the Subaru again. If uh, it's got the eyesight system, so it's got a pair of cameras up behind the rearview mirror to watch the road. And you'll notice that if you space out at a red light and it turns green and the car in front of you drives away, those cameras are watching and the car is like, "Hey!" It chirps at you, like, "Hey, snap out of it! Traffic's moving. Come on!" Yeah, so there's it, stuff it, like, there's it, stuff like that that you might not encounter until you've been driving a car for a while. Yeah, I mean, somebody said to me a long, long time ago, I won't, you know, f- fully give you an opinion on my car till I take it to the supermarket and find out that there's places to put stuff. And, you know, uh, and I think there and I think there is some truth to that, that, you know, if you just drive the car for, you know, 100 miles and you haven't really used it like you would use your family vehicle, um, you, you don't necessarily get a good feeling of what that car is really like right right and one of the uh one of the challenges now is that with more electric cars every year uh they kind of all drive the same you know like a ferrari v12 sounds different from a subaru flat four but once we have an electric ferrari that's going to be just the same as a subaru Solterra. it's going to be quiet and it's going to have a lot of torque and it's going to be quick and uh, so that's kind of one, I guess, occupational hazard that you must encounter yourself too. Is how do you how do you describe an electric car in an interesting way? And I'm I'm still wrestling with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, after after you say wicked fast, you know, what, you're right. You know, they're all wicked fast. Even even you know, comparatively speaking, the Chevrolet Bolt is pretty fast. Yeah, and I think that the way that you're going to make that an interesting thing to read about is to find that, you know, what else is going on with this vehicle? Like the, uh, the Hummer, uh, EV truck, it has all sorts of crazy other besides the power, you know, it's a thousand horsepower, but it's got four wheel steering. It's got blue tinted key tops. It's got all these funny little Easter eggs. Like when you put it in tow mode, it shows itself towing a Saturn V rocket, you know, so you got to find the the other the other stuff to talk about other than how it drives. Yeah, I mean you're you're right, and you know I think it was uh, maybe a month or two ago now um, we had uh, Brian Loans on. Uh, he's uh, he has the website Bank Shift, and also he's a NHRA commentator. And we actually got talking about you know uh, you know how kind of racing has changed from you know the traditional racers who had whatever their, you know, big block alcohol crazy cars to, um, you know, supercharged, turbocharged Honda Civics that are making a 1,000 horsepower. And those two people weren't talking to each other because they were just so completely different. But at the end of the day, they're still racers. And then how that's going to transfer into racing electric vehicles. And he said, you know, he kind of basically said people got to get over that kind of weird prejudice of, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't make your, you know, it doesn't make your lungs vibrate when the engine starts up, but they're still interestingly fast, and they can be tinkered with to make fa- to be even make them even faster. Right. The whole hot rod tuner culture is going to be alive and well with electric cars. I think um, you can do all, you know, all the same stuff that you would do with your your Dodge Demon if you want to add. Uh, you know, you want to add horsepower, you crank up the boost. If you want to, you want your electric car to go faster, you crank up the voltage. I don't know. Yeah. Put in, drop in a new motor. It's the same kind of thing. 
Uh, and we're at this weird transition point now where you can buy a thousand horsepower demon that does wheelies that they just introduced the other day. And you can also buy, you know, a, um, a Remont Nevera that also does zero to 60 in 1.6 seconds. So it's, uh, it's an interesting time to be into cars. Yeah, and, you know, I, I said this some time ago that, uh, you know, a lot of people considered, like, the early 1900s as the golden age of the automobile. I kind of think it's now. Yeah, I agree. Every every car out there is better than, you know, consider this Subaru. You know, it's not that quick, but uh, it's 152 horsepower, so compared to that 1982 GL, this thing is a rocket ship. Like, hey, there's not even enough, uh, there's not room for a spare tire on top of the engine in this one. <laughs> yeah, good good point. But it does have a spare tire, which puts it ahead of a lot of electric vehicles. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot going on, and it's just one one week to the next when you're driving different cars. Uh, there's just there's a ton of variety. And to your point about you know the early 1900s, we also have that thing going on where there's a lot of new companies. I feel like there was only this shrinking of the car world for a long time like oh now Oldsmobile's gone now Mercury's gone and Plymouth is gone it was car companies shuddering battering uh, Saab I could go on and on and now we're starting to see okay electric cars it's relatively easier to start a company we've got Rivian we've got Fister coming back with the ocean um, there Chinese companies are going to be entering the market Vietnamese Vinfast so it's cool for me to see, you know, there's brands of cars that I've never even driven yet. And that, and that is really sort of interesting. And the idea that, um, you know, people are, people are going to have a choice of, and some people kind of are a little bit afraid of this, but you know, you have a choice of, are you going to buy a car from a car company or a tech company? And I think some people are sort of saying, well, you know, I don't know that I ever want to buy a car from uh, a company that, you know, was that was a tech company before it was a car company. I'd rather buy a car from a car company because they know how to put them together better than a uh, tech company does as far as installing, you know, motors and batteries. What's your thought on that? Right. Uh, my thought is that um, I would like to have the Apple computing power in the car, but I don't need the Apple car. You know, I... I like the, I'll have some, uh, you know, Panasonic batteries, but I don't think I necessarily want a Panasonic car. And I'm not sure that people do have their, uh, you know, their habits with car buying. And I think for most people, if you've had something that you like, that's internal combustion. Like I have a friend who, he just bought a Subaru Solterra uh, because he had Subarus and he wanted an electric car. So naturally, he went for the electric Subaru. So there's a lot of that. Uh, it's a built-in advantage, really, for the car companies that have been around, that uh, some people want to go get the new thing that nobody has ever had, but other people just want to replace the car that they like with the same thing, but electric. Yeah. I'm, no, driving, it, through, it, I'm, driving, I'm driving through a uh, torrential rainstorm here in the Subaru, and I can hear it, but... Well, I did hear a little something there for for a bit, you know, and, uh, you know, as you're driving through the torrential rainstorm, is the eyesight system still working or did it shut off because there's too much rain? Uh, it is. It's active. Yeah, I've got my little green steering wheel icon uh, and the car uh, is 
staying in his lane and following the car in front of me. So I don't know how it would work in a uh, a New England blizzard, but uh, in rain, it's, it's hanging in there. Yeah. No, it, it is sort of interesting that, you know, some of these cars that have advanced driver assistance systems um, work really well. I mean, like you pointed out, you know, the little green yeah. steering wheel is still working. But then other times where you really kind of need it in like a New England blizzard or, you know, you know, a real torrential rainstorm, uh, the systems start to back off and shut down. And it's like, well, that's what I really wanted. I don't really necessarily want it when... Um, when it's a, a sunny, beautiful 70-degree day outside. I think the value in these systems is when they're running in the background and you never notice them until you need them. Because um, most of them, frankly, are kind of annoying. Even this one, it, it's pretty good, but the steering wheel is sort of squirming in my hands. And then if I don't, uh, you know, if I'm just driving straight and I don't steer at all for a while, then it'll start chirping at me because it's like, hey, hey, are you still there? Wake up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here I just I just didn't need to steer. So yeah. I, like, yeah, how, how, I like when they're in the background more than in your face. Yeah. How how so, how soon in most cars do you shut off the lane departure warning? That's usually one of the first things. And uh on my wife's Pacifica it's a nice big prominent button right on the dash because they know you're going to do that. That's right. And they know it's annoying. With the yeah. Subaru you actually have to ask for it, so that's you have to opt in. Yeah. which I think is a good way to do it. But, uh, I mean, I've I, had my uh, an Audi RS7 save my bacon one day when I was I was looking at something. Uh, you know, I turned my head to look at something out the window, and uh, the car in front of me slammed on its brakes. And the next thing I knew, the Audi slammed on its brakes without me doing anything. And uh, so that's the reason that I recommend to people, especially with kids, if you're buying a car for your kid, try to get the newest thing you can because that stuff is just getting more and more common. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And the idea of that the world, or at least the United States, is going to pretty much adopt automatic emergency braking in the next year or so in just about every vehicle, I think is going to be as important as you know anti-lock brakes were 30 years ago. I think we're going to see, we're going to see so much more, uh, you know, and hopefully people, you know, people don't, do stupid stuff with it, but I think it really is. You know, it was 10 years ago, and maybe even more, that you know, autonomous vehicles were going to be the the new big thing, and that sort of, for the most part, sort of faded away with the exception of Tesla, which seems to still keep running into stuff with theirs. Uh, well, which, well yeah. there, everybody's working on it. It's one of those things that's perpetually two years away, or, you know, yeah. Elon Musk will tell you it's next year, every year, but it's so hard to actually execute a point A to point B, your car is going to do all the driving kind of thing, because there are just so many variables. Like I was in a Cadillac that had Super Cruise um, when that first came out, and the there were some construction guys coning off a lane. You know how they gradually yep. cone off a lane yep. so they can do work mm-hmm. up ahead? I mean, they, that wasn't in its map. It didn't know about that, and it didn't see the cones. And if I hadn't grabbed the wheel, it would have mowed right over the cones and kept going right into the construction zone so there's stuff like that um that are all these you know they call them edge cases but anytime you go driving it's all edge cases especially in massachusetts yeah yeah good point you know considering our roads were you know cattle paths that they turned into some sort of roads afterwards yeah. yeah and the problem is driving is a social thing and you have to know what the other person is going to do and how to respond accordingly and that's really hard for a car 
mean, GM Super Cruise is probably the best system out there right now, and it can drive on the highway, and you don't have your hands on the wheel, and it can uh, it comes up on a car in front of you, it'll signal and move over and pass it, and then get back in its lane. And I mean, it seems like magic, but that's just driving on the highway. That's pretty much the easiest thing you can do. It's driving yeah. uh, downtown or in the suburbs. That's going to be a really hard problem to solve in the snow. Yeah, you, all good points. And and when it comes to driving, I guess I look at driving as um, I either love to drive or hate to drive. You know, if I'm driving in and out of yeah. Boston uh, at, you know, quarter seven in the morning and I'm stuck in traffic for two and a half hours, I hate it. But if I can find a nice little twisty two-lane road up in Vermont, I love it. So the idea that some autonomous features could make life better uh absolutely but i also yeah. don't want it to take away the fun of driving when it is fun well that's a good point uh when people tell me if i if i recommend super cruise or something they say well don't you like driving why would you want to you know take take something away that you think is fun and to which i say well i don't like that kind of driving driving on the highway driving in stop and go traffic you know there's a lot of driving that you're forced to do rather than that you want to do and even if you're driving somewhere you're on your way to some good roads you're going to inevitably you're going to be doing some driving where you might just as well say all right if the car would handle this part of it that'd be fine just get me to the good stuff yeah yeah no, absolutely right uh, a couple more questions before we let you go do you still have your uh your diesel didn't Sorry, you didn't you didn't you didn't you build your own five speed diesel uh Oh yes. Yeah. My Bronco. The yeah, Bronco. my Bronco. I actually sold it I sold it to a friend. The Bronco lives in Weymouth now. So if you see a a black ninety three Bronco around on the South Shore, uh that that sounds like a uh, a school bus. That's where it is now. <laughs> with 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 a manual transmission. Yeah, I figured if I was going to do the whole engine swap thing, I may as well find a truck with a five-speed. So, yeah, if it became a uh, a seven-point-three-liter power stroke five-speed Bronco, which which makes it really awesome. unique. Yeah, and the and kind of at the other end of the spectrum. And I remember talking to you about it years ago. You uh, you had a gem electric car to go back and forth to the beach. Do you still have that? Uh, I did. I sold that to someone in New Jersey because I just I wasn't really driving it enough because it's, yeah. it's only uh, three league on on streets that are thirty five miles an hour and less. So that kind of limits uh, its use case. I did just get a Gladiator diesel though because I, ah. I missed the Bronco. <laughs> I missed the Bronco so much. I said, "All right, what can I get that's like that, but an actual new car that you can buy?" And really, the Gladiator diesel is a weird weird vehicle the convertible four-wheel drive pickup with an italian diesel in it yeah i i i guess i wasn't even sure they actually made that i thought that was that must <laughs> yeah i know it's one of those vehicles that it, it does seem like really they make that and uh they do for now i wouldn't be surprised if they dropped it next year because they're kind of you know they're transitioning to electrification as well and i think the next Gladiator iteration is probably going to have you know a plug-in hybrid setup just like the Wrangler does. But for now, yeah, you can get it with a uh, three-liter diesel. It makes uh, 442 pound-feet of torque, 
1,400 RPM. So it sows nice. It's uh, good off-road. I'm, I'm really pleased with it. Yeah, no, it really, it, it, it really sounds like it really sounds like a great vehicle uh, and sort of unique, which which sets it apart. Uh, and, and, you know, you kind of look at you kind of look at all of that and you look at, uh, you know, different use cases for different vehicles. I think, uh, you know, for a lot of people that might not be the perfect vehicle. But if you have the right use for it, and especially if you're doing things like, you know, like you said, going off going off road, doing all kinds of fun stuff. Wow. I guess well, it is raining. It's certainly. That's the lightning so uh-huh. uh, Yeah, that vehicle sat on the dealer lot for so long that the tires were flat spotted. When I drove it off the lot, I called them immediately because uh, I was like, did you guys ever move this thing around in the months that it was sitting on your lot? And the answer was no. <laughs> so I don't know if that should make me feel good or bad that the vehicle that I bought uh, was so weird that nobody even wanted to test drive it for months. Yeah. <laughs> so I bought it. I think that I think that's a perfect reason to buy it. Hey Ezra, if people want to read more about you, find out more information about you without going to uh, uh, an AI chatbot. Uh, how can they find you? Uh, car and driver, pick up the magazine in your uh, your nearest grocery store, Hudson News or whatever, and uh, go to the website carandriver.com. That's where yeah. most of my stuff lives these days. Sounds sounds good. Ez, thanks for taking a little time out of your Sunday morning and joining us on the Car Doctor program. All right, thanks. Talk All right, later. take care. All right, see ya. Bye. Ezra, Ezra Dyer, he is the uh, senior editor for Car and Driver. You can you can read his stuff on uh, Car and Driver online. You can like you said, pick up the magazine, find it there. He's a he's a, he you know is he a humorous and insightful writer? Yes, he is according to Chatbot, but he really is. And he's one of those guys that uh, I had the pleasure of meeting when he was living up here in Boston. He was a young guy. He was working for the Improper Bostonian. He started to get into writing about cars uh, and uh, uh, turned it into turned it into something really interesting. And I think, and I, I remember talking to him once before, and I think he maybe had his first article appear in, it might have been like Motor Trend, when he sent kind of a sample article off to them when he might have even been a teenager. He might have been 18 or 19 years old, and he, and he got it published in, in uh, the publication. Hey, it's uh, time for us to take a break. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program, if you would like to join us. And I'm going to apologize right up front because um, I still have the same cold that I've had now for two weeks. Apparently, it is something that's been going around. And whatever questions I may have answered last week uh, for folks that called in, uh, my head was pretty foggy back then. And uh, it's a little bit better today. But uh, the other the other thing we talk about, uh, supply chain issues with uh, auto, automotive stuff, you know, semiconductor issues. Uh, when I went to the doctors last week, they give me, gave me a prescription for cough syrup. And uh, I brought it to the local CVS, and they handed it back to me and said, nationwide shortage on cough syrup because apparently the entire country has a cough right now, and uh, there's a shortage on cough syrup, so who knows. But give us a call at 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Lines are open. When we come back, I'm going to review something I've never reviewed before, and we'll talk about that when we come back. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on 95.9 WATD. We'll be right back. No one wants to be left out in the cold. With AAA, you won't be. Their experienced technicians will be there fast to help with your dead battery, unexpected breakdown, frozen locks, or any car issue that comes with winter weather. They're trained to fix most problems on the spot 
often without the need for a tow. And you're covered in any car you're driving or riding in 24-7. Join AAA today at aaa.com slash join. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor on 95.9 WATD. Now back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. That was a quick break. Good thing I didn't want to run out and, you know, I don't know, make myself something. I don't know. Uh, well, the weird review. Well, I've always been fascinated with uh, letting technology do things I don't want to do. You know, we're, we're talking to Ezra about autonomous vehicles. Uh, you know, let uh, autonomous vehicle drive when I don't want to drive, maybe. Um you know, but stuff I don't really want to do. Um, I probably would have been the first person to buy a washing machine or a dryer to avoid, you know, you know, going down to the creek to wash my clothes or hanging clothes on a line. I don't know. Uh, the idea of having a power lawnmower instead of one you push. Um, can't imagine. I guess people have them for that reason. Um and then there's driving. There's like, like I said to Ezra, there's times I just love to drive, you know, the right car on the perfect road or a perfect day. And it could be a sports car like the last uh, Jaguar F-Type I drove or even our Volkswagen convertible on a nice day. We have a 2015 Volkswagen convertible, um, top down, nice day, nice smells when you go by certain places, uh, just kind of makes it all kind of fun. So, um, What's this have to do with anything? Well, uh, then there's vacuuming. And, uh, you know, I think we keep our house pretty clean. And honestly, I'm not the one who vacuums, but uh, I make the mess in the house most of the time, such as our little home improvement projects. But I had a chance to evaluate a robotic vacuum cleaner. And uh, it's 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 a little bit different. It's made by a company called Yeedy, Y-E-E-D-I, and it is a vacuum and mopping station. And it's probably the robotic vacuum you've never heard of. This particular unit can sweep and mop hard floors simultaneously. Well, sort of. There's a mopping tank and a cartridge, and it, and it has a small vacuum tank and a separate vacuum cartridge that has a large vacuum tank. So if you're going to mop, you put this one cartridge in, and if you're going to mop and vacuum, you put this, or just vacuum, you put this other cartridge in. So it kind of all works works out together. Um, the large vacuum tank, you swap it out when you want to use, you just only want to vacuum. One of the standout features of the Yeedy Robotic Vacuum and Mop is it advanced mapping technology. It allows uh, to create a precise map of your home to avoid obstacles. Um, it actually uses a top-mounted camera that sort of reads the ceiling so it kind of knows where it's going users can control the device with an app and it offers a uh, range of custom cleaning modes and scheduling options i usually just honestly just turn it on the the yeedy robotic vacuum and mop also features an intelligent water tank that automatically adjusts water flow depending on floor type so uh it sort of knows what kind of floor it's mopping um and um it it has these two kind of mop brushes and they clean clean themselves and inside the station where it goes and parks itself it uh and recharges the battery it has a tank of clear water and it has a tank of water that gets dirty so it washes its own mop 
brushes, which is kind of neat. Overall, I think the Yeedy Robotic Vacuum and Mop is an excellent choice for a homeowner looking for a versatile and effective cleaning solution. It's reasonably affordable, easy to use, it's packed with advanced features, make it stand out from other robotic cleaners on the market. Um, some robotic vacuums use machine learning, uh, so sort of what... Um, Ezra was talking about with uh, Cadillac Super Cruise. So it kind of knows what's there, and then it makes arrangements afterwards. And just like putting out the road cones that could cause a problem with the with the uh, Super Cruise system, it works pretty good until you confuse it. Uh, some other systems actually use a, um, a combination of LiDAR and cameras. This one uses sensors, so it bumps into stuff and it remembers where it bumps into them. So the first time you turn it on, it bumps into a whole bunch of stuff, and then it learns afterwards not to bump into as much. So um, so this is similar to how advanced driver assistance systems work. Tesla uses cameras and AI. Others use, uh, like Mercedes, use LiDAR. So what do I think about this uh, robot vacuum cleaner? Well, we named it Rosie. Uh, and you got to be old and remember the Jetsons, so that's what we called it. Uh, it's pretty easy to set up. It comes with a user's manual that provides step-by-step uh, -step instructions, but you almost don't need to use them. You download the app, follow the instructions. Uh, if you've ever if you've ever set up a security camera, for instance, where you scan a QR code, pretty much the same thing. You use the app or just push a button and turn it on. It works. I found the vacuuming function worked really well. Uh, but I wish it could empty itself. Um, that would make it even that much better. It doesn't. This is a system where it's really mopping seems to be more of a priority and vacuuming. Although it vacuums really well, um, you do have to empty the vacuum tank, which it is a big tank. So, it, you know, but I want to empty it pretty much every time I use it. Um, as clean as I like to think our house is, the ED always did find some dust. Uh, probably under beds and couches and places like that. Um, I did that, find that periodically it would miss certain spots and occasionally it had trouble returning home. It would it would go up to its uh, parking garage, I guess is the way to call it, and it would um, kind of try to center itself back up, turn around, and then just get stuck and stop. Give it a little push and it did. So, But some days it would work perfectly and other days it didn't. Um, uh, where I found it didn't work that well, I just asked it to clean the living room. So don't go into the kitchen, don't go into the bedrooms, just clean the living room. It seemed to get confused by that. It still traveled further than I wanted it, even though I used a smart function to tell it to only go one place. Um, our little house here has uh, transition strips to go from you know, one style flooring to the other. It was able to get over all of them except for one bathroom where it got stuck once, although it's gone in there a couple times uh, and it seemed to work okay normally what we do is just close that close that bathroom door in a closet we have the closet has carpet in it so we just close the doors to keep it out of the carpeted area i thought it would learn not to go in there after a while but it still kind of went in there if we left the closet doors there sliding closet doors we left it open um you know, so overall, it did pretty well. My next step is I want to try to have it clean my little workshop, but I think I need to do a little pre-cleaning first. Um, you know, it's where I uh, do home improvement projects, work on stuff, work on the, you know, boat if I need to, work on, I have some a lot of work to do in here still, so that's where my table saw and miter box saw and 
various tools live most of the time, and some days I use them right in there, so it makes a mess. I'm really kind of interested to see how it's going to do in there. That's going to be a real test in how how kind of heavy-duty this is. But uh, overall, if you've never heard of the Yeedy robotic vacuum, certainly worth taking a look and, and see and see what it's like. And, you know, maybe, you know, you've heard of a lot of them, but that's uh, uh, worth taking a look at. Let's see. So um, uh, Ezra, Ezra just uh, texted me. He said, sorry if the rain was loud. It really opened up. Uh, it just sounded like he was driving in the rain to me. So... Uh, uh, and um, so, worth uh, worth taking a look at and see see what's there. Also, I got a text message from a neighbor who said they had an issue with. Um, they said uh, charging my car. It says I'm going 160 miles an hour, 6,000 RPM. A bunch of fuses are clicking in the back trunk. I've taken them out, but it still has the RPMs at 6,000. Um, I told them to disconnect the battery and then charge it. Uh, then hook the battery back up also when you have the battery disconnected. Hold the two cables together. He said, weird, disconnected, uh, with weird, battery disconnected, grounded, out, all gauges still on. Well, wait until you hook the battery back up and see if it resets itself. And a lot of times that's that's the case. That's what will happen. Our phone number is 781-837-4900. Uh, like uh, Jesse said, it's a beautiful day out there. So you're probably out and about. But if you're around, give us a call about questions about your car, 781-837-4900. And uh, we'll talk to you about what's on your mind. Uh, in automotive news this week, um, the next sh- uh, Chevy Equinox was spied as an EV version nears. Spy phot- photographers have captured images of what appears to be the next generation Chevrolet Equinox during road testing in Michigan. The fourth generation Equinox shown under camouflage appears to have a boxier front end than the current version. Rear styling also appears to have a more squared off look. Automotive News has reported the compact crossover will be redesigned in 2024 after the electric version of the Equinox goes on sale as a 2024 model. Chevrolet declined to comment on future products. The brand has, the brand last redesigned the Equinox in 2018, making the crossover smaller and lighter than its predecessor at the time. It was the first Equinox redesigned in eight years. It remains a key vehicle for General Motors in a highly competitive segment. Equinox posted U.S. sales of about 212,000 vehicles in 2022, so they sold a lot of them, ranking as Chevrolet's second best-selling vehicle behind the Silverado full-size pickup truck and third top-selling vehicle behind the Silverado and GMC Sierra pickup trucks. Equinox was third in the segment last year behind the RAV4 and Honda CRV. That's pretty impressive. Um, RAV4 and CRV are kind of always um, vehicles you can count on to be at the top of the list. Sam Fiorani, Vice President of Global Vehicle Forecasting at Auto Forecast Solutions, who's been on this program before, told Automotive News in an email that the redesigned gasoline-powered Equinox should go in, into production in April 2024. With the intent competition in the segment, the Equinox needs this uh, revision to remain relevant. Uh, Sam said, the uh, announced goal of EV of the EV Vision version is starting to price around thirty thousand dollars, which is quite close to the base price of the gasoline version. So the idea that they're going to come out with a 
electric vehicle that's close to the price of the gasoline vehicle depending on range that's pretty impressive so we'll have to wait and see speaking of electric vehicles volkswagen id2 concept ditches its retro for more traditional looks volkswagen's dropping the retro styling that has dominated the first wave of electric vehicles to create a more affordable small battery powered car the id2 all concept unveiled last week in germany opts for a more traditional design VW aims to keep the starting price of the production ID, ID2 below $26,000. Uh, there's no plans to sell it yet, yet in the U.S., but I am willing to bet it will be here at some time in the near future. Uh, some of the interesting um, questions that came in this week, and we had we had a, a, a fair amount of them that came in that seemed seemed pretty interesting. Let's talk about some of those a little bit uh somebody had a 2001 jeep grand cherokee several months ago it wouldn't start and the light on the uh, and there was a light with a key symbol with a line through it and and when it was on the car wouldn't start uh prior to this it would occasionally shut off while i was driving the mechanic said it was the skim module they took it in advised that the pcm the the computer was bad. I found the part on eBay. He installed it and programmed it. It ran fine, then randomly shutting off again. He brought it back to the mechanic and he said he couldn't find anything wrong with it. He said to drive it for a little bit longer to get the PCM, the computer, to set. I always, when I always hear that, oh, that always means I hope they go away because um, computers don't really set. I mean, yeah, there's some learning that takes place, but they don't really set um it'll start and stall start and stall it'll be fine says for a week it was good no issues it randomly shutting off again when they were driving when it happened i just put it back in park turn the ignition to off turn it back on start it right back up they said they're going to call their mechanic again do you have any have you heard of anything like this um yeah um First off, what's a skim module? The Sentry Key Immobilizer Module. Crazy four-letter acronym that the world doesn't need to know. And the skim module uh, needs to talk to the main computer, the PCM or ECM. uh, It needs to see that signal for the car to start. So I think, again, the car probably had two problems. It had a problem with the skim module or the PCM, either one or both. And... um, by replacing that, you took care of the problem where it, it showed that um, the key, so in other words, almost like you were using the wrong key for the car. That's why it wouldn't start. The second issue I'm willing to bet is probably a bad crankshaft position sensor. It's a fairly common issue in these vehicles and certainly something you should you know, take a look at um, and, and see what's wrong with it. Sometimes they can get you know, really rusted in place. They can be a problem, so that's, that can be part of it. Um, this is um, this is a question that comes from our friend Paul from Braintree, and I kind of reworded it a little bit. And uh, he bought a couple new tires in January. The tires are fine, but he went to go check the tire pressure, found that the valve stem on the left front wheel broke in half, and it deflated the tire. They had the car towed to the tire store, uh, where it wasn't covered by the warranty. The car is 14 years old, and they, you know. And he said the the part is about $85, and with labor, it's going to come to $115. Um, is that kind of the normal range? 
and should have been covered because, you know, they put the tires in. Now, I think if the valve stem was damaged, and these are these are typically metal valve stems that uh, have a radio sensor in them. They usually have a life of about 7 to 10 years. That's usually when the battery inside them goes bad. They're called direct reading tire pressure sensors. Um, so lucky they're still actually working. Um, it could have been hit a curb or something, cracked the valve stem. Uh, one of my coworkers who had exactly the same car, by the way, uh, as yours, Paul, um, kind of did the same thing. Uh, so how much does it cost for a new one of these? Well, uh, the factory price is about $128 for the for the sensor, and a lot of shops will charge a minimum of an hour's labor to install the sensor, rebalance the tire, and program the new sensor. Um, so at $115, yeah, it's expensive for a valve stem, but the price to me seems fair, although, you know, it's easy for me to say it's fair if I'm not paying for it, but um, I don't think it was a result of the tires being put on uh, back, uh, you know, three months ago or two months ago, whatever it was. I think if that valve stem was cracked, and uh, professional tire stores are really cautious about this. You know, in, you know, 14, 15, 18 years ago, whenever the case was, um, you know, there was times where people made mistakes, bent valve stems, damaged them, especially older style tire machines that weren't as uh, kind to the wheels could do some damage. I remember being in a shop one day, and it was pretty typical in most shops to, before you even took the tires off the car, you would uh, go over and pop all the valve stems out, just let them deflate really fast because it was just quicker that way. Well, some of the early um, tire pressure sensors would actually um, have rubber valve stems. And I remember seeing somebody go in and grab their valve stem puller, pop all the valve stems off, and just cost that shop probably $400 to put new valve stems in because they were, had they happened to be rubber stems that had very expensive uh, radio frequency, little radio transmissions built into them. The idea they went to metal stems uh, at least made them almost last forever. And the only time a metal stem really needs to be replaced is there is the valve core, the little Schrader valve that sits inside the valve stem. They can go bad over time. Also, the gasket that holds the stem in place, there's a, a gasket on the bottom and a gasket on the top, which makes it airtight. Those rubber gaskets can sometimes crack with age, but the metal stem itself stays uh, stays pretty good. Uh, somebody else wrote to me and said, we currently have a 2017 Mazda CX-5. We spend our summers from June through September in Vermont. We're seriously considering a hybrid SUV. Electric charging stations not readily accessible where I live. There are rumors that electric officials would like to install charging stations throughout the city. He also said someday pigs will fly. It's also a 210-mile trip from their apartment to Vermont. I'm guessing they probably live in Manhattan, but I don't know that. Uh, a midsize SUV suits our needs. We do a lot of day trips. We're considering a Kia Sportage. Would you consider other makes as well? And their budget is around $40,000. Um, and I said, you know, what um, What might be a, a good way to go, at least in the near future, is a plug-in hybrid. So a PHEV uh, may be a good choice rather than a full electric vehicle. Um or a plane or just a plane hybrid so a full electric vehicle with limited charging stations might not work that well for you 
but um, a regular hybrid is going to be fine, no question about it. But a plug-in hybrid might be able to give you the best of both worlds. Uh, I recently drove the Hyundai Santa Fe plug-in hybrid, and it was the fancy trim level called Calligraphy. And it gave you, it was about 30 miles of regular range, regular electric vehicle range. So for most days, and you know, my trips, unless I'm specifically going out and road testing the vehicle, a lot of times my trips are just to, you know, the you know, local home improvement store, which I seem to go to a lot right now, or uh, the hardware store, or the supermarket, or the local Walmart, which is near me. You know, all of those places are within a 10-mile range of where I live. So I was driving the car on electric. I'd plug it into a 110-volt outlet. It would charge it up pretty easily. So a plug-in hybrid maybe might not work out in, in, in the city, wherever they live, because of lack of charging stations. So a plug-in hybrid is going to work like a regular hybrid, uh, unless you plug it in. And But when they're up in their home in Vermont, Maybe they can just plug into a 110-volt outside outlet, and depending on where they drive in Vermont, it may be all the electricity they need to, you know, take a look. A little bit smaller, the Toyota RAV4 Prime is always a good choice as well, so certainly worth looking at. Why don't we take another break, um, see what see what's we got for uh, bills we need to pay, because we always have bills we need to pay. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we do that? And again, our phone number is 781-837-4900 if you want to join us on this, what is a quiet phone day on this uh, Sunday, March 26th. We'll be right back. No one wants to be left out in the cold. With AAA, you won't be. Their experienced technicians will be there fast to help with your dead battery, unexpected breakdown, frozen locks, or any car issue that comes with winter weather. They're trained to fix most problems on the spot, often without the need for a tow. And you're covered in any car you're driving or riding in, 24-7. Join AAA today at aaa.com join. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program. And uh, you know some of the some of the other little things in the news worth looking at, and uh, some of the other questions that came in. Uh, somebody wants to know um, about my opinion of the 2023 Kia Sportage. Um, I only know a little bit about it, really. Uh, certainly, Kia, as well as its corporate cousin Hyundai. Uh, you know, they've had their share of engine issues in the past, uh, including my car is one of them. So, uh, um, but I haven't had any problems with it. Uh, but they've had some they've had some issues. I think the Sportage, compared to uh, the Toyota Rav Four and the Honda CRV, I think is very competitive. Uh, if you're driving on the road and you're looking for an all-wheel drive vehicle for winter travel, I think it's a good choice. Uh, uh, it's not really designed to you know go tromping through the woods in the mud but it is a good choice i had something interesting happen this week where i live in the little uh, my little tin shack community here there's a boat ramp down at the end of the street and there was a guy with a uh, I'm, I'm gonna guess 18 foot boat maybe maybe just a little bit bigger than that and um, we have a boat ramp we have two boat ramps technically and um he uh, had a, uh, a front-wheel drive Cadillac SUV, and he put his boat in the water in the morning, went to go take it out of the water, 
in the afternoon, and there was nothing he could do to get the traction he needed to get out of, get his boat out of the water. Um, Front-wheel drive, as good as it is, when you put several hundred pounds of weight on a trailer hitch on the back, is going to take the weight off the front wheels. And he he got up the ramp, but as soon as he got into the sandy portion of the ramp, ahead of it it just wanted to sink down right into the dirt uh what ended up happening uh somebody came by uh, there's a um, guy who has a landscape business up the street he came by with his trailer to turn around at the end of the street here and he dropped his trailer and actually we put his boat back in the water uh unhooked his unhooked his trailer uh or hooked up his trailer to his car pulled the trailer out and then um hooked the uh this guy's pickup truck up and uh, which was uh, only two-wheel drive, but it was dual wheels in the back, put the trailer back in the water, put the boat back on it, dragged it out with the truck. So I guess bottom line is uh, if you are thinking about buying a boat or maybe even a camping trailer, depending on where you go camping, uh, all-wheel drive might be the real choice for this, although there is somebody here with a Crown Victoria that, um, that in fact, um, does... Pull his boat out of the water with his Crown Vic. Rear-wheel drive, a little extra weight on the rear wheels, enough to get out of the water. Let's talk to our friend Mike from Bridgewater. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Mike, how are you? Hi, good morning, John, and a happy spring. Happy spring, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and, and uh, even though I'm not, not there, and it's no secret, I guess, I'm not there, but it does seem like uh, uh, spring weather has finally come to uh, New England, huh? Thank, thank you very much. If you're a religious person, thank you. You know who. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, may, may, just quick, uh, is the boat in the water soon, or are we working on it, or where is that in your oh, situation? Oh, oh, my little boat. My little boat yeah. is actually my little boat is actually in the water. Fortunately, and uh, I will kind of describe my little tin shack down here. It's a it's a a, a mobile home, and it had a carport on one side where we kept our Volkswagen parked for the summer season, and we had the boat parked on the other side. Well, the carport on, if you're looking at the house on the left-hand side, um, was torn off by what we think is actually a tornado, and the carport actually landed on top of the Volkswagen. And it did a, it did some damage to the car. Fortunately, I was able to buff out a lot of the paint damage, and I took it to a dentless uh, paintless dent removal guy, and uh, he took the dents out of it and actually got it back together for less than $1,000, so it looked pretty good. The boat, on the other hand, was in the other carport, and the only real damage to the boat was um, the the cover on it from the, the straps on the cover blowing around at 140 miles an hour kind of dinged up the paint a little bit, but there was no actual real damage, just some scuffs on the paint, which... Um, would have bothered me more last year when the boat was brand new. Bothers me less now that the boat's a year old. But but it is it is in the water. It is in the water. And my wife had a friend from Plymouth visiting, and we took her out for a boat ride uh, uh, Wednesday of this week, and it was very pleasant to be out in the water. The red tide has seemed to have gone away. There's no dead fish floating in the water, and we're not near the uh, near the Texas size. Um, 
Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, kelp, kelp patch that's, uh, that right now was on that right now was uh, mostly on the east coast of Florida. So, uh, so things things are okay. So, it's all good. Yeah, see, I just want to comment. See, if you had the AAA protection, that list would have been included in that with the wheel package and the paint. It, 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 it probably it probably would have, but fortunately for that. Uh, I was able to, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, I guess, uh, you know, the boat the boat had insurance and the car had insurance. Unfortunately, the house doesn't have insurance. So the house received the most damage. So, but at least I had insurance. I had insurance on the, on, on the, uh, on the, on the car and the boat. Yeah. For people who are thinking about buying a, a mobile home in Florida, um, make sure you can insure it first. I found out after I bought it, I couldn't find ins- I couldn't get anyone to insure it. So. Uh, so make yeah. make sure make sure you do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, reason I was call- well, well, that that's good. The adventures that's going to be add a, a chapter in the book when you. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exa- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, reason I'm calling. Do you have any thoughts about the technology used for some of the systems? And what I'm ac- asking specifically is in Tesla versus um, Mercedes Benz and what they use in order to uh, do all of the safety features. My understanding is that uh, Tesla just uses cameras where Mercedes-Benz uses a combination of that and radar and lidar. So I didn't know if you had some thoughts. I, I know there was a recall, this is months, a few months ago, about the Tesla. But I was wondering, do you have any thoughts? If you were given the choice, would you have one that has the combo or the the camera is is fine the way it is and cameras I, I, only? In- I think providing you use the system as it was designed... The camera system works fine. I do agree that the Mercedes system that uses, and Mercedes, I think, is the only system that uses LiDAR right now. Um, I think the LiDAR system, in conjunction with the cameras, which brings the cost up quite a bit, but I think that system works better. But if you're going to be just using it as kind of a backup, like when we were talking to Ezra Dyer earlier, it's just going to sit in the background, and for those times that maybe you're not quite paying attention, it's going to save your bacon. Um, I think either one of them is going to work good. If you're somebody who, um, you know, plans on, you know, telling the cruise control and the GPS where you want to go, and and you're going to say, hey, I'm pretty tired, I'm going to take a half-hour nap, uh, none of those systems should be used. We're not there. We're yeah. not anywhere. We're not anywhere there yet. Uh, but if I had if I had a choice, I would go with the Mercedes system um, because I think it's just it's closer to what we call level three um, autonomous driving. Where I think the Tesla is, even though the Tesla claims it can drive itself, it can drive itself till it has limitations. And and I think any of these systems that can drive itself till the driver has to take over is dumb. I I want yeah. I want it either to work perfectly and I don't have to pay any attention at all or just let it do what it does now and just kind of make up for me when maybe I you know glance in the other direction you know I saw you know I saw a hot rod go by me and I looked the other way to see what it is and you know the car in front of me stopped and I want the system to take over then but other than that that's kind of the direction I'd go Got it. Yeah, and I just understand. I think there was some weather conditions. The cameras might be compromised versus yep. where you've got radar backup. Yep. All right, John. Listen, I know it's getting close here, so it was it was nice talking with you. All Thank right. you for your thoughts. I do appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. Um, bye bye. All right, bye bye. Let's see if we can go real quick to Carol from Lynn. Uh, Carol, good morning. 
Hello, good morning. Can you hear me? I can. I can, but it's going to be uh, real quick. What's up? It's uh, been a long time. Well, I just wanted to say that uh, I enjoy your new station. I found you on the South Shore. You went from the North Shore to the South Shore, and I found you, and I really enjoy listening to you. Well, I've thank you. Questions, but I will call back with the questions because call, they, call, they might be a call, little. Uh, yeah, yeah. Call, call back, call back next week. Uh, usually, we have a guest for the first twenty minutes, like I've always had for the last thirty years. So, but call back, you know, uh, you know, usually right after that. Okay, well, would we be All going right. to the car shows anymore? And the car shows in, in uh, Boston. Uh, not not so not so much there, but I try to get to all the different cars and coffee events wherever I am. Hey, Carol, we got to get going. Always a pleasure talking to you, and uh, we'll talk to you maybe next week. Okay, thank you. Bye. All right, bye bye. Hey, that music means we get, need to go next week. We have Mike Quincy from Consumer Reports on to talk about the best and worst cars, trucks, and SUVs. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye bye.